Father, we thank you for your word that brings life. It's the only thing that does bring life. Your word, Lord, brought by the Spirit of Christ, revealing the ways of the kingdom, the truth of the kingdom. It brings us into the life of the kingdom. And Father, tonight as we come around your word, as we come to eat and drink of you, Lord, we cannot do so without your spirit. We are totally and utterly reliant on him to enlighten our heart, to flood our hearts with the light of the kingdom. Just as the word came into darkness as light, and that light was the life of men. Lord, I pray that your word would come into our hearts. And that we would hear what you have to say to your church. That we would have ears to hear. And hearts that will receive and be brought into the knowledge of your will and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. My goodness, it's so good to be back. It really is. I've missed being here, um, having to go for work um, up in Napier, but I'm so thankful that there is such a thing as live streaming and podcasts, (laughs) Um, because I've been drinking um, by remote, but there's nothing beats being here, absolutely nothing. The living vibrancy of Christ in each other. Yeah. And it's um it's good to welcome anyone here that's been here for the first time. I know that there have been a few that um that this is their first or second or third or fourth time. Um but welcome. We're a family and we're a family that has wide open arms. We're not a closed, exclusive group. (laughs) Tonight is um, I feel a great weight on this word because of its import. I don't think there is another word that is as important. it's a significant work. And because of that, I really feel that I need to talk just a short time about how we receive his word. And Sam spoke about this um, a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about the difference between the God-inspired word and the man-interpreted word. And I don't know whether you've pondered on that but there is a, an extreme difference. And it goes back to the beginning of all creation because creation was created through God's word. Everything that God creates, he creates by his word, his living word. And every single word that he speaks is designed to produce something. It's designed to produce change in life. 
in the lives of the hearer. Not just a little bit, but radically and in a God-abundant way. That will be the sign that it's God's word. The abundance, the character, the nature of God will actually create the abundance of the change. He says in Isaiah 55:11, "So will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it." On the other hand, man's opinions and interpretings and ponderings do not produce life. In fact, they can produce, wait for it, deception, a hardening of the heart, a dullness of hearing, even pride and self-reliance. This is a profound difference, is it not? They can cause the human soul to be satisfied with so much less than the vibrant and transforming life that God desires. They can blind us to the truth that only comes by the Holy Spirit and keep us from seeing the eternal purpose. So there's something about a heart posture that will hear, the ears that will hear in a certain way. And that's what I want us just to pause before I go into this. Have a listen again. Psalm 119, 130 to 131, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Think of poor in spirit, Matthew 5. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Think of Matthew 5, hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a heart posture here. In John 1, 4-5, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So when there's a darkness in our heads, because the soul realm is a fallen human nature, and there's darkness, there's a darkness of thinking, there's a darkness of understanding. And light needs to come, but darkness can't comprehend light. That's why the humble in spirit, the poor in spirit, those who realize that they can't understand, they're the ones that are going to receive. In my life I've experienced the fruitlessness and futility of man's vain imaginations and opinions firsthand. I've been duped into believing it would be the word that would set me free. Only to find, no matter how hard I tried to believe it enough, it never changed me and never produced fruit that lasts. I've spent decades doing that. These past years, God has broken me of such roots of pride and holding on to control and brought me into a way of receiving, not learning his word. What he has revealed in me has formed a substance, not of what I can just recite, 
but life in me that I know is not from me. I couldn't have produced it. The difference I experience on a daily basis is so extreme and continues to bring more and more substance of Christ in me that I not only am overwhelmed by his mercy and grace, because I am undeserving of this, as are we all, not only am I inexpressibly thankful for the words of life that were spoken to set me free, for those who spoke, <laughs> those who modelled, but I'm also compelled by his spirit to urge us all to hear him, to receive him on his terms, in his ways, and that if there is any here that have struggled to receive, that I might encourage you to let go of needing to be right and allow yourself to be wrong if that's what it takes for his word to truly come in and do its work. The reward is so great if we would just humble ourselves and say, I don't know, I need to receive. This is the continual path of my heart and he feeds me here. It isn't just a one-off, it is the mode and the operation of receiving. God is spirit, he is our father. We, when we were born again, we are born of the spirit. We didn't come in with a whole lot of knowledge and yet so many times the operating systems of the intellect and of learning are the things that we apply to receive from him and it just does not work. We must receive by the spirit of Christ and that means acknowledging that we cannot do it our, ourselves. When we look at Paul, we're going to see the example of someone who has the life of the word that's performed the work in him. So when we are reading through Ephesians, we are reading not just words about something, not just facts, no matter how factual they are, they are factual, but we are seeing and hearing from someone who has the living reality of the word that was sent by God to do something. So he is speaking from a living substance, not a knowledge that is known somehow, but kind of not really, a sort of knowledge. When he says right at the beginning, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, he knows, he knows who he is. He knows what the eternal will and purpose of God is. And he knows how he's been personally assigned by God to live from it. He speaks from the for sure foundation of revelation from God. It's a reality that's been done in him. So he is compelled in this letter and led by the Spirit to write this word as a messenger, as a sent one, as an apostle. He is speaking the words of God that can set us free. And he knows that if the church will receive these words of God as he did, it will radically change them too and cause them to come into alignment with what God is doing. So this is the posture that we have to come into and learn how to receive. Joe talked about it a number of weeks ago about this open, open posture of waiting. There is a resting from our works. We keep hearing that and you're probably 
you know, it's like, what does that mean? But this is, this is an application of it. Instead of striving to understand, like we strive to understand other things, we rest and we ask Christ to reveal. We hunger and thirst. With me, when he broke me, I screamed help. I screamed help to him because I knew that he desired truth in my inmost being and it wasn't there. That I knew him to a, a small part, but I needed his truth to come in and to change me on the inside. I needed hurts and things that were completely overwhelming me and causing my life to be put into boundaries that I constantly went round in circles of lack of fruitfulness, lack of joy, frustration, and all these things. That was, my, that was my cage. That was what was in me. And I screamed out. And what he, what in that breaking process, what he showed me was is how, how he reveals. And it's like, this preciousness of, of life that, that is the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the way. It's through him, not through our understanding. So the verse that we're up to is verse 9. And... Um, I'm sorry, but we're not going very far. I think 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 words we'll get through. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. What is God's ultimate purpose? What is this mystery of his will? For me, I have found the revelation of this, to the extent that I have it, has changed my manner of living. The how, the what, the where, the who with, all flow out of the why. So it's unfolding a mystery. In other words, it's something that's not in plain sight for humans to discover, as I've already explained. It's to be revealed by the Spirit. There's another passage that calls it a hidden mystery. Paul says it's the mystery that was previously unknown, but now has been made known. The mystery is about what God's will is, his plan and his eternal purpose. It's a spiritual reality that has been made known by him to us and is made known by him to us in all wisdom and insight. So, what is the mystery of his will? We have seen already in the passages, uh, the, the few verses that have been before, we've seen the laying out of a foundation. We have seen something that was in the Father's heart from before the foundation of the earth. 
So before he even invented such a thing as time, he had something in mind. He was looking for a particular kind of relationship. Okay, he wasn't just looking at making a nice place or something to entertain him that was beautiful. He was looking for a relationship. It was to be a love relationship because he is love. How could he have any other kind of relationship? It was to be one that was in close proximity to him, before him. We see that in verse 4. It would be one where we would be holy and blameless. So this relationship was never intended to be that of a cowering slave to an all-powerful master. Now, from our perspective, we, we can see it like that. That he is the all-powerful one and we are to cower in fear before him. Even the words of that song, you know, why would you care for me? Tonight, I hope you'll see that he doesn't just care for you. <laughs> it's way more than that. See, we can define all the things of God through our eyes. And that's where we go wrong. He needs to define all that we see through his eyes. And then everything comes into alignment. So what is this relationship? He's actually after a rich fellowship and partnership of a bride for his son. There it is. There's the will of the father. There's this ultimate plan. He wants a bride. All the things that have ever been created are all in alignment with that purpose. It utterly dictates the purpose for the church and for all creation. That's, it pretty blows your mind, doesn't it? Through the entire Bible, God speaks of this marriage relationship. And here, again, we, when we look in Ephesians 5, 31 to 32, it's again referred to as a mystery. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal it. So for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Really interesting, when you look, I'm pretty sure it's the NASB that has the title of this. It doesn't say Christ and the church is like marriage. It says marriage is like Christ and the church. There's a significant difference. Here we have the same thing. Where are we taking our reference points? Are we putting our views of marriage onto Christ and the church? Or do we... Hear from him, receive from him the revelation of how he sees things. And then our marriages are coming into alignment with what he has spoken. This next passage, I want you to listen for the words, do you not know? Again, it's about Christ and his bride. 1 Corinthians six fifteen to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know 
that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her. For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify body, uh, God in your body. So do you not know? It's spoken three times. It's possible not to know. If we don't receive this revelation of the will of God, we can't be made ready because we don't know. So we won't live our lives here on earth in response to this purpose. We'll live for ourselves and our desires and think that's okay. Do you see how important this word is? So the revelation that Father is looking for a bride for his son leads us to his will and purpose for us here on earth. And that is that we have to be made ready, prepared, sanctified and transformed to be like Christ, to be a suitable companion for him in the ages to come. Our purpose, God's purpose and will for us is sanctification. And that is spelled out very, very clearly in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 to 5 and 7 to 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. The purpose of sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That is why he's giving us the Holy Spirit. Listen to Romans 12 verse 1 and 2. And we see that in fact, our lives in this process of transformation actually becomes the living testament and proof of this very will that I've just outlined. So, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're not proving it by trying hard. We're proving it by entering his way and walking in the way that he has designed for us to walk, to be transformed and made ready for being his bride. So the very proof we see of this living, active word, we see in the life of Paul. And there's several things that, uh, I mean, throughout Scripture it shows this. But there's a key chapter that I, I think does this so much, and that's Philippians 3. And it's significantly headed the goal of life. So wouldn't you think the goal of life is um, kind of where it's at? 
yeah, the purpose, why we're here. And in that that significant chapter, it's it's massive, absolutely massive. He talks about pressing on to lay hold of that for which he was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. See, what was he laid hold of for? What were you laid hold of for? Just to take you out of the kingdom of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of light? That's awesome, but that's not what Paul is talking about. What has Christ laid hold of each one of us for? See, if Christ lays hold of someone, he's got a purpose in that. It's not just of deliverance. It involves deliverance, but it's not just of deliverance. It's not just scraping in and still we are these poor slaves. There is way, way more. And that's, that is the bounty of his grace and his mercy that he wants to display It's one of the the consequences of this incredible offer and invitation is that he will display the bounteousness of his mercy and his grace and his nature in the bride. Christ is coming for a prepared and mature bride. Our readiness is our priority. And we see in so many parables that Jesus wrote about the readiness, the being prepared. Think of the ten virgins. There's so many. I'm not going into them tonight. But I pray as you start to really ask and seek and knock for this, that you'll start to have your eyes open to where it is because it's everywhere. And it will it will gladden your heart in such a way that it will, it will just transform everything and give you joy that can't be taken away. So that's God's purpose. What about Jesus? How did he fulfill and how does he fulfill the will of God? Because he said, remember after the um, the time with the Samaritan woman and the disciples came and said you know who's been feeding you and he said my food is to do the will of God (laughs) do you think we might be any different if we're not being fed are we doing the will of God so he was sent by the father to build his church to show the way of sanctification, that the church would come into his way, his truth, his life. Everything he did showed the way, it spoke the truth, and it demonstrated the life. The church was to have formed in her to make her ready as his mature bride. When you look at the way, I've spoken about this, but I'm going to speak about it again. Because it's the one thing that our pride does not want to hear. And so the light of the word has to come. And it has to come as a hammer and hammer and hammer and hammer until it breaks it. I know, it's had to do it for me. Philippines 2.6 
have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the foremost way of receiving the, the kingdom within. Jesus modelled it. You know how Paul said, imitate me as I imitate the Christ? Let's have a look at Paul imitating him. I'll read it from the message. Philippians 3, 7 to 9. The very credentials these people are waving around is something special. I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life, compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master first, firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog done. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules. When I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. Paul imitated Christ, the way of coming in. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, 3. So Jesus, when he came to earth, he left everything of divine privilege because of love for us. So Jesus was constantly demonstrating the nature of the Father to make him known to us, his bride, that we would know him in truth. He demonstrated how to be empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. And in him, to overcome every attempt of Satan and flesh to distract him from God's will and purpose. And he did this so that we could do likewise. You see that in the temptations, where he was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. Why do you think that happened? He promises those who overcome to sit with him on his throne. So there's some overcoming that we need to understand. And what could some of those bits of overcoming be if it's not to get off and distracted from the will of God? To get caught up in other things that are not the primary purpose of God. Jesus showed how the joy set before him <laughs> what do you think the joy set before him is? Kate and Luke? What's the joy set before you? It is, but in a, in an, I'm giving an earthly example. Sorry, should have given you a clue. That one. Good man, good man. So there's a joy set before Christ of being one with his bride. 
to think that he has had that in his mind, in his heart, before him, through all of the things. When people were assaulting him, insulting him, whether it by, by word, by unbelief, by accusing him, they even accused him of, of doing miracles by Satan and blasphemed the Holy Spirit in doing so. They misunderstood him completely. They did not understand. In all that, he had the bride ahead of him. In all that he endured on the cross, which was, for him, the most painful experience, obviously not just physically, but separation because of the stink and stench of our sin. But there was a joy, and it caused him to endure. And that joy is for us. Because a marriage takes two people. So if he is longing to be one with his bride, is his bride longing to be one with him? Because it will give us the joy to endure. We'll see. So the revelation of this truth will cause life to be able to be seen in an eternal perspective. And it will change the trials you go through. And you've heard testimony from me about that in the last few years, how that has done that in, in my life. These things become momentary and light afflictions, literally, because they're trumped by something so much bigger. Another thing that Jesus has done and continues to do is discipline his church in love. We see this in Revelation 2 and 3. He's demonstrating the process of the transforming word to bring correction, alignment, and promise of word, of the reward. So when you read those letters to the, to the churches, they're letters to us. And they're letters that he has written because he loves he said, I discipline those I love. This is what you think you are. This is what you think you know. But I'm telling you truth because I want you to come into fullness of promise. And if someone doesn't tell you, you're going to be in deception. Remember the man thing? He demonstrated the power of an indestructible life and made that resurrection life available to us by faith in him. Now what I've just said, man, you need to go dig that because when you get a revelation of that by the Spirit, whoa, that is, it just blows you away completely. You see, all our substance, our identity, our purpose, our modes of operating in our life to flow and be found in him. He made us who were spiritually dead to be alive and now he wants to make us mature and like himself in every way in preparation for sitting with him as his bride on his throne. The Holy Spirit is 
part of all this. So the third thing I'm going to talk about is how is the Holy Spirit involved in fulfilling the will of God? We look at 1 Corinthians 2, and interestingly, it's titled Paul's Reliance on the Spirit. Hmm. So verses 6 to 12, yet we do speak wisdom amongst those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom. Remember I said it was called the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, have a listen to this, things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. What? These things that God has prepared for him, for us, who love him. For among who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Remember, God is Spirit. So he reveals to us by the Spirit, not by our soul just understanding. He enlightens our hearts so that we come into the understanding. So when we're looking at this, what is the mystery, the hidden wisdom predestined for our glory? We're talking about the same thing, aren't we? What is it if it's not being the bride? If they had understood, what didn't they understand? You know, it's interesting, when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, he said, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, if you knew I was your groom, So here it is again. We've had three instances now where we see, do you not know? If they had understood, if you knew, it is possible to not know, to, un to not understand, even if we've received Christ as our deliverer. Just like the Ephesians, we need to come into a living, enlightened revelation of his high calling and inheritance for us. Not just a mental understanding, but one that so radically changes our lives that it has to be the power of God's word in us. Can't be anything else. And we are utterly reliant on the Spirit to show us. But he is wanting us to ask and seek and knock. You know how it says in, in Proverbs 25.2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter? So who are the kings? Is the bride not to be a royal priesthood? Yes. 
There is so much here. The Holy Spirit reveals to us all the knowledge of the kingdom. As Ollie was praying, revelation of the kingdom. Who are we? Who are we? What have you done? What have you given us? What is this new man? What is this power that's within us? So he feeds us from the word. He feeds us from the substance of himself. Remember, we are born of the spirit. So the food we must eat now to grow is spiritual food. We cannot eat spiritual food, and it will just mean that we stay immature. We are still saved. We're still being born again. But the purpose, the purpose is to feed us. And the Holy Spirit becomes in us the living water that he nourishes us and he nourishes those around us because this stream never stops and it it overflows. Christ becomes the bread of life and we feed from him and the Holy Spirit enlightens our heart to what he is saying because it's a relational connection. It's not a, a knowledge, a functional connection that is just me acquiring knowledge. He sheds abroad in our hearts the love of the Father so that we have a hope that doesn't disappoint. That's Romans 5.5. 5. This is the way that God feeds us and causes us to grow and mature. So we see Jesus, his whole life, geared to that one purpose. We see the Holy Spirit and his whole purpose geared to the one purpose. He's getting her ready. He's been sent to prepare her. So, you and me, what's our part? Well, we have to receive. (laughs) Just as to do the will of God was Jesus' food, we need to realize that to do the will of God is our food. And so we need to eat the food that he gives us by the Spirit. And that is not, as I've said, by searching it all out and trying to understand it, but receiving it through the, the way that I've already spoken of. See, if we, we can't do his will if we don't know what it is. We could literally spend our entire lives thinking of something else. It sets a clear direction for us. The one thing that, um, you know, I, I saw when I read the thing about to do my food is to do the will of God popped out at me this afternoon and to finish his work. There's a finish line. (laughs) There's an end. This is not just an airy-fairy kind of like let's muck around sort of going in that direction. There is an actual finish line. 
And to each one of us has been given a designated number of days. And no wonder it's this that t teaches us to number our days. Because every day is a day to be transformed. <laughs> so when we're going about our daily life, we are asking different questions now. We're not asking the questions about how do I make my life nice and comfortable? How do I, when stuff comes and broadsides me, do I somehow sort that out so that I'm, I'm not sort of taken off centre? You know what I mean? We, we can spend, that. this is the human way of doing things, our whole life trying to create a peace around us that is sort of like everything's okay. All the relationships are all sort of sorted and as long as nothing comes, we're okay. But as soon as something comes, it's like, oh, we've got to restore the peace somehow. <laughs> but you see, we're not going to be asking those questions. We're going to be asking the questions, Father, what are you training me in? Totally different questions. In Luke 6.40, Jesus says, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. My question now that I understand this is whenever my heart or my life don't show that I'm like my teacher... Well, they show that I'm not like my teacher. I'm now asking, um, what training is their father? Hmm? See, the process of discipleship becomes the environment where we do this together. Where we're walking in line together for this one eternal purpose to be made ready to be matured. When this grips us, it grips us. There is no other purpose. There was no other purpose for Paul. There was no other purpose for Christ. Our purpose is to be holy as our Father is holy. So in discipleship, we walk without comparing, without fear and competition and insecurity because we have the living relationship, revelation of whose we are. And the purpose for us is one body. It trumps everything. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and Father's will. We love with this incorruptible love we've freely received from him, covering many sins, as we're all pressing on to lay hold of what he's laid us laid hold of us for. Paul said, I have not arrived, but there's one thing I do. I forget what is past and I press on. It's not about having arrived. It's about the purpose. And it's about having the one purpose and the knowledge in us that we are here. We are our brother's keeper, that we are together to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day arriving. Because there is only limited time to be prepared. And it's the most beautiful, inspiring walk. 
but it's not just inspiring in the head. The reality of it is walked out through the gnarly stuff, through the stuff when we do stuff up and when we, we get it wrong. And love comes to that. Just like love has come to us, it's easy to love people when we are walking at an arm's distance and we are living in superficial relationships. It's easy to love people because then we can just build a picture of what they're like. But what happens when we actually open up and we allow people to walk close enough to see all of us? What about the love that's produced in us by Father then? Now that's what I'm talking about. That's the love that the bride has. That's the love that Christ has. That's what makes her ready because it's exposed when it's not there and we cry out and we say, Lord, build it, and he builds it because we are walking in oneness in this purpose and this iron sharpens iron and stuff happens and we, we bring it together. We don't separate, but we come together to walk. So that is the word that I really feel that he has laid on my heart to deliver. And I pray that, that, that you can receive it from him. That's all it is. It's, it's his word. And it is a, an aligning word that causes so much life. And we just spend a bit of time going through some of those questions. And um, feel free to ask questions I will tell you what I know, but I've, I'm on the way. I'm not there at all. So um, it's a joy to do it with, with you, with you all. Amen? Thanks, guys.